T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. of thousands of people have tried to uh, flee the city. There will be many more. People are hiding out in bomb shelters. But this isn't a place, with all due respect, um, you know, like Iraq or Afghanistan that has seen conflict raging for decades. You know, this is a relatively civilized, uh, relatively European, I have to choose those words carefully too, uh, city where you wouldn't expect that or hope that it's going to happen. So it's partly human nature, but they are not in denial. The invasion of Ukraine has shocked the world. Some racialized coverage of it has exposed bias when it comes to this war in a predominantly white nation versus other wars around the world. We have podcasts about how Ukrainians are dealing with the aftermath of their country being taken over by Russian military. And journalists are on the ground archiving the coverage on social media. But while this coverage is crucial while covering warfare, it's revealed a racial bias that is plaguing our coverage. In many cases, media outlets have broadcast that Ukrainians look more like us, comparing Ukrainians to Americans with prosperous lives, nice clothes, and modern technology. The racist undertones are not really undertones. They're prevalent and give us a bleak look into how Western journalism frames warfare as something that is common amongst non-white countries but shouldn't be happening in Ukraine. On this episode of Connect the Dots, we hear from Lorraine Ali, the television critic for the Los Angeles Times, who also writes about Muslim American issues and about her view on journalism and its inherent bias while reporting on war. We'll hear about her family's personal experience with escaping Iraq during the United States invasion and how she hopes to see more equitable coverage of other countries experiencing warfare in addition to Ukraine. I'm KCBS Radio's Sydney Fishman, and this is Connect the Dots from Odyssey. This week, we look at how journalists have perpetuated a grim bias in their language and how that bias has dehumanized the refugee experience in other countries. Lorraine Ali, whose own family escaped from Baghdad when the United States invaded Iraq in the early 2000s, wrote a segment in the Los Angeles Times where she analyzed racist undertones in recent coverage. Some of this reporting is from media companies that have headquarters in the Middle East, like Al Jazeera, which is centered in Qatar and recently broadcast with their British anchor, Peter Dobby, that Ukrainians are not people trying to get away from areas in North Africa 
They look like any European family that you would live next door to. Ali's reporting, along with other journalists who have been analyzing the racist undertones of this type of language, has shown what Western media thinks of warfare as something that happens to impoverished nations, but not something that is normal for European countries. So if journalists are the ones who should know better when deciding what to broadcast, why are they still using this language in their reporting? I think they're still using the term uncivilized uh, even now because, A, you know, it's in the heat of covering warfare. It's in the heat of covering battle. The idea of trying to censor yourself or um, it's an emotional time, right? Emotions are coming out. And I think it lays bare what the raw idea is and what it has been underneath the wars we've been covering and from the perspective of the West. And it is that places like Afghanistan, Syria, Iraq, uh, those are places that are not civilized like the West, where this is a normal thing, where warfare happens all the time. But, you know, the reporter needs to stress, look, this is why this is different, because it's not one of those places. I think that's why it's coming out even now as we're talking three weeks in. Uh, and it, it, it is an under, it is something I always knew was there when they were covering Iraq, which is where my family's from. It's something I always knew was there when they were covering different conflicts in the Middle East. But this kind of lays bare that, yes, indeed, there is an idea that those places are uncivilized and warfare is normal to those regions. At the end of February, the Arab and Middle Eastern Journalists Association sent out a statement condemning the language used by many journalists. They said, and quote, this was racist and Orientalist language, saying that this reporting shows how Western journalism normalizes tragedy in other parts of the world. The coverage, the association says, normalizes the casualties of warfare in places like the Middle East or Africa. The overtly sympathetic reporting for Ukraine, it makes the conflict seem more important than the warfare happening in these other countries. The reactions and some of the things that this kind of coverage does to the community, and I know from people responding to the article, from doing other radio shows on this, is that um, A, it's painful. It's painful to hear the trauma and the warfare that either your country, your family, your people have been through or are going through, and particularly in conflicts that were either caused by the West or the West is directly involved, um, being looked at differently in less humanitarian perspective than, you know, this one. And also the idea that Arabs and Muslims and people from the MENA community are watching this in the Ukraine thinking, oh my God, this is horrible and it is a replay or it is it, these scenes are so familiar and you're feeling this complete uh, understanding and almost uh, connection with what's happening. And then to hear reporters and media, you know, characterizing it as something that's different and more important than what has happened in those other regions it is, um, it's really dehumanizing and it's a horrible thing to hear, but it's also just dangerous because that kind of thinking is the kind of thinking that 
paints people from those regions and those communities and the warfare over there, even in our connections over there and our involvement over there as a country, as uh, more of a military and strategic operation rather than something that is affecting human beings on the ground. And, and that's really dangerous. The prevalence of social media in the war in Ukraine shows the complete devastation of the country and its civilians. But it's not the first online documentation of warfare that we have witnessed. When looking at war and revolutions in the last 20 years, it shows that social media has played a huge role in the documentation of war, especially in the Middle East. This occurred in Libya in 2011 and the Egyptian revolution that same year where many civilians documented the war on Twitter or through Facebook and YouTube. Other conflicts, other uprisings, all the way back to the Egyptian revolution, whatever you want to look at, it's because we weren't monitoring it closely in the West in America because it didn't affect us as either directly or didn't affect us on a level that seemed like we were emotionally invested. So to say that this is really the first, um, is more a perspective thing. Because certainly, if you look at what was going on in Egypt when they called it the Arab uprising at first, how did that start? That started from groups amassing on Facebook. And that certainly was covered or was you know talked about on social media, on Facebook, all the way through. But we lost interest because it was it went on for years and years. And, you know, it wasn't something that was directly pulling on either emotional heartstrings of the United States or its political implications weren't direct to us. I think the other thing is that from that to Iraq, you know, look at how ISIS used. I mean, it's horrible, but look at how they use social media and then go all the way up to the Gaza war last year, um, you had Palestinians posting video of themselves during those bombings just to make sure people knew that they existed if they died, right? So there would be a, a record of them existing before they died. And that was on social media. So to say that this is the first one, it's the first one perhaps we're paying attention to in Ukraine, or that reporter is paying attention to, or that outlet is covering or they think they're covering from the beginning to the end. Let's see, because how far this goes, and it's sad, but this is only the beginning, and we'll see, you know. The idea that this is the first that is covered on the ground from people that know how to use technology, that's the other implication, that in those other places, the people on the ground don't really know how to use technology. These other people in Ukraine do, and that's the difference, and that's just not true. This is hardly new. People are forgetting that there's this whole section of social media that's monitored by people, and especially young people, to use. Smartphones were super prevalent in the Middle East, being used especially by people in their teens and 20s to document that war. You know, what's so funny about that is often when I would go back and visit some of my relatives who have fled out of Baghdad um, and out of Iraq, they were either in Jordan or in Syria before Syria blew up or the Emirates, um, particularly in places like Jordan and um, Syria, they were much more adept at using social media off their phones and, and technology on the fly. Because in Iraq, they hadn't had 
the kind of internet access because Saddam Hussein didn't allow it, you know, all of that. So in other words, they were more adept at using that than we were. And in those times, they were recording this in, in a much more sophisticated way than often Americans were because they had no other choice. It was out of necessity. It was, re- it was resourcefulness. It's not just the media's bias that has enforced a sense of prejudice against non-white refugees. Even Bulgaria's prime minister, Kirill Petkov, recently announced that these refugees are different when he said, these are not the refugees we are used to. They are Europeans, intelligent, educated people. Some are IT programmers. This is not the usual refugee wave of people with an unknown past. No European country is afraid of them. This ongoing prejudice is not unusual in Ukraine and bordering European countries. When the invasion of Ukraine began, videos on social media showed that African students were turned away when trying to flee, many reporting that it was because of racial discrimination. Lorraine, what do you think we can do as journalists to make sure there is more equitable coverage? What's happening to the Ukrainians is horrific, and it needs to be covered, and it needs to be covered widely and from all sorts of different angles. And I'm so glad it is being covered the way it's being covered. To make comparisons to what's happened in other regions in the Middle East, I think that's good. I think that reporters should be doing that, especially reporters that worked in both places. But I think it's important to think about those contrasts in terms of human beings, in terms of the toll that it's taken on women, children, men, families, those are the same, they're, they're humans. And the refugees, the refugee crisis, look at the difference between how the refugees are accepted coming out of the Middle East and look how they're being accepted. You know, when you're making those contrasts, so I think with reporters, in terms of just making sure that the coverage is equitable, it's really hard in, in the heat of war, but I think looking back on those conflicts and comparing them to what's happening now, um, instead of contrasting them as this is more important and that is less important, perhaps pulling them side by side and saying, look at the human toll, it is the same, it is horrific all around. So do you think a lot of this coverage is about the language we are using and choosing to use? Being aware of, I think the language is is critical, being aware of of who you're calling civilized and saying these are people like us. Whereas when you say that, you know, about the Ukrainians, you're implying that the other people weren't like us. And being more aware of saying things like that Um, And also just being more aware of perhaps even going back and looking at what happened in those regions. It doesn't mean a whole history lesson, but just look at some footage and think of those people in the same way. Because they are us. We are the same. Right now, there's so many different angles being reported on. People are doing things on podcasts and on television and through the written word. Do you think this is going to diminish anytime soon as journalists find other things to cover? The coverage is immense right now, and it is coming from all different areas. I don't know. You know, it depends on the burnout. And that is so unfortunate in conflicts. The longer they go, of course, there is the burnout of viewership. Um, 
you know, there's the media burnout, how many, and there's resources that they can't put towards it. After a while, it's about money. It's about ratings. It's about all of those things. Who's paying attention to this? And unfortunately, that's a lot of times what it depends on. And right now we're super invested in covering this and also, you know, exposing it, making sure that the world sees what's happening in Ukraine and what's happening to Ukrainians. And I, I hope that the international press stays there and, and continues to document this. And there isn't the same kind of uh, burnout and, you know, lethargy that eventually happened with Iraq, with Afghanistan, you know, because that's really dangerous. Then these situations happen in the dark and that's when it gets very dangerous. Thank you to Lorraine Ali from the Los Angeles Times for her insight and time and for sharing her family's personal experiences with war. This episode of Connect the Dots was written, produced, and mixed by me with editing and mastering by KCBS Radio's Mallory Somera, who is also the show's executive producer. Subscribe to the Connect the Dots podcast and listen to past episodes by heading to the Odyssey app or Apple and Google Podcasts. From KCBS Radio in San Francisco, I'm KCBS Radio's Sydney Fishman. Thanks for listening. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.